Auzubillahiminashaitanirajim, bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the ever-merciful. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Today is Monday the 31st of October 2022. The time is 7.05am and you're listening to Daniel Zia live from the South London studios of Voice of Islam. We have, uh, as is the norm, two topics uh, for you today. So the first one, we, which we shall start around 7.30 a.m., uh, is about Halloween and what is the Islamic perspective around Halloween. And the second topic is about, um, uh, well, actually Monday today. So it's, uh, we will talk about uh, the Sunday scares that um, a lot of people suffer, anxiety about returning to work, um, and uh, shall I say also to school after half term. So those are the two topics that we shall um, discuss today. Please do join in these discussions by calling us at 0208-687-7878. You can also tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Uh, we shall start the show, um, as we always do, with the headlines bearing in the newspapers today. So the fire attack at a migrant centre in Doorway is featured in several of Monday's papers. The Mail says witnesses uh, described seeing a laughing man target the facility with three incendiary devices. It comes amid fears over the number of migrants that have crossed the channel to the UK this year. The paper reports it also says concerns are growing over the conditions at a second asylum processing site in Kent. Home Secretary Suela Braverman's plans to relieve overcrowding at the asylum processing centre in Kent lead the Telegraph. Overcrowding at the site worsened on Sundays. Hundreds of migrants were transferred there after the centre in Dover came under attack, the paper reports. It says the Home Office is drawing up proposals for spot booking rooms rather than reserving entire hotels as part of the measures. The Express also looks at the fire attack on the Dover Migrant Centre. The paper reports that two were hurt when the devices exploded. The bomb squad deactivated one device found in the attacker's car in a petrol station. It says elsewhere, the paper warns, food prices could rise again after Putin abandoned the internationally brokered grain deal with Ukraine. The Guardian says ministers accused of creating Wild West conditions in matters of national security by the increased use of personal emails and phones to conduct confidential business. The paper's main image is of a man paying tribute at a memorial in Itaewon to those who were killed in a crush there in South Korea over the weekend. The paper also reports a new round of cuts at the BBC could drastically reduce local radio programming in England. And the I reports Mr. Sunak is prepared to U-turn on his decision not to attend the COP27 climate conference after the backlash from his own party. The paper also says the attack on the migrant centre in Dover happened as Ms. Ms. Braverman faces calls to quit over the conditions at the Kent site. The NHS um, is the uh, main story on Mirror where it says... Um, NHS is facing its worst winter on record as doctors fear a mix in COVID and flu cases will spark a crisis. And finally, the Financial Times says Russian President Vladimir Putin's decision to ditch the deal that allows Ukraine to export grain from its Black Sea ports will lead to another jump in global food prices. Experts warn it will have 
catastrophic consequences for poorer nations, the paper reports. So those are the headlines appearing in the newspapers today. Uh, We shall now take a quick break and when we come back, we will stay with the headlines before we move on to the uh, topics of the day. The first of which is about um, Halloween and the Islamic uh, perspective on that. So do stay tuned. Thank you. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Uh, you are listening to Voice of Islam. Um, welcome back. Before that, you are listening to the headlines uh, of the early week. Now we will present an article, a piece of article by Tara John. Uh, this article is about the uh, present, uh, presidential election of Brazil. So Brazil's Bolsonaro loses bid for second term in fiercely contested presidential vote. So the article, go, article goes by like this, that... Um, uh, Luis Inácio Lula da Silva is set to become the next presidential president of Brazil after defeating his right-wing rival, incumbent Jair Bolsonaro, by a razor-thin margin in a fiercely contested runoff election. The leftist, uh, former leader, widely known as Lula, received more than 60 million votes, the most in Brazilian history, breaking his own record from 2006. But despite the huge turnout from his supporters, his victory was by a narrow margin, according to Brazil's electoral authority. Uh, Lula da Silva won 50.90% of the vote and Bolsonaro received 49.10%, denying him a second term. Uh, Lula's supporters um, thronged uh, Sao Paulo Avenida Polista on Sunday evening after polls closed. The mood was celebratory even before the results were called, with people setting off layers when he was declared a winner by the country's election authority. Many had tears in, in their eyes, telling CNN that they were hopeful for the country, which has been struggling with high inflation, limited growth and rising poverty. But others on Avenida Paulista expressed fears. Lula da Silva's razor-thin margin has raised concerns that Bolsonaro will not accept defeat, having repeatedly claimed that Brazil's electronic ballot system is susceptible to fraud. The entirely unfounded allegation has drawn comparisons to the fall election claims of the former U.S. President Donald Trump. Hours after the result were announced, Bolsonaro had yet to concede defeat or make any public statement. Meanwhile, videos on social media showed his supporters had blocked highways in two states to protest against Lula da Silva's victory. They said, 
we will only live once the army takes over the country, one unidentified Bolsonaro supporter said in a video taken in the southern, in the southern state of Santa Catarina. Uh, speaking to supporters on Sunday evening, Lula da Silva thanked all Brazilians that the people who voted for me, the people who voted for the opponent, who went to the polls, who, cons- who consented to fulfill their civilizing commitment of citizenship, I want to congratulate you, he said, reported CNN Brazil. And above all, I want to congratulate uh, congratulate the people who voted for me because I consider myself a citizen who had a process of resurrection in Brazil, in Brazilian politics because they tried to bury me alive and I am here, he added. Lula da Silva and Bolsonaro had previously gone head-to-head in a first round of voting on October 2nd, but neither gained more than half of the votes, forcing Sunday's run-off vote, which became a referendum on two stark, uh, starkly different visions for Brazil. So that was the article by Tara John. So the you know the situations are escalating uh, in different parts of the world and uh, like you know there are very uh, different uh, uh, you know presidential elections the presidential elections elections happening in the UK like we have our new president uh, new prime minister in the UK Rishi Sunak uh, likewise many other elections are happening in the world like in Brazil as I have read the article before you yeah I think and and that is really I, I think um, the the fact that left-wing party has has gained power in Brazil is is really really good news I think um i i don't know whether that's a uh too early to say whether that's a trend um um i i would i i would be a little skeptical about that um but it's it's certainly good news uh in so far as uh, you know the tendency to elect right wing leaders that we've seen uh, in many countries around the world including in in europe and um uh let's hope this is uh, you know this is beginning of a uh, of a reversal of uh, what we've, era, we've yeah. seen uh, in terms of rising of the of the far right but yes uh, certainly you know uh, uh, lula coming back is i think good news for uh, um uh, for for brazil i would say and um, also for the world in general because he's uh, you know he's he's known to be a leftist um leader and uh, bolsonaro's many of his policies were very divisive as well so that um uh, that's really really good news the uh, in other news what i wanted to um talk about today was um uh, uh, something around um uh, nhs where um he uh, the guardian reports that nhs is yet to see um a single penny from the 500 million emergency fund that was actually promised um, to NHS. So uh, this is um, carried by The Guardian, written by Andrew Gregory, the health editor of The Guardian. And um, uh, the article says that the hospitals and care homes have not received a single penny of this 500 million emergency fund, which was uh, promised by the government to prevent the NHS becoming overwhelmed this winter. 
so the ministers announced they were injecting cash into the health and social care system uh, that was last month to help get thousands of medically fit patients out of hospital into either their own home or care home uh, as soon as possible in an effort to better prepare the NHS for the coming months. At the moment, one of the key challenges is uh, discharging patients from hospital into more appropriate care, set- care settings to free up beds and help improve ambulance response times. Teresa Coffey, the then Health and Social Care Secretary, said on the 22nd of September to tackle that, I can announce today that we announced today that we are launching a 500 million adult social care discharge fund for this winter. However, The Guardian has been told that none of the funding has actually materialized and senior health and social care sources describe the government's failure to release the promised cash as inexplicable and outrageous. More than 13,000 of the 100,000 NHS hospital beds in England currently contain delayed discharge patients, which has led to A&E units becoming heavily congested and long delays in ambulance handovers. As as a direct result of that, thousands of 999 patients are suffering potential severe harm every month because ambulances are simply stuck outside uh, the hospitals. Um, So that um, uh, obviously is uh, is not great news. Um, uh, As-salamu alaykum. Peace be with you, Imam Shazeb. How are you this morning, sir? Very good. Um, time, the, cl- the clock's got an hour back. Yeah, yeah. So that gives us everybody uh, an hour extra sleep. Correct. Um, and aside from that, what has been happening in the news, um, well, there's unfortunately two dead men in Brixton. Um, mm. You know, it's fortunate some places um, are very much so hostile, and it's very unfortunate to hear and the loss of life um, wherever it is um, and this here happened at 7.50 in the evening um, on Sunday so yesterday where they found two men injured and they were both pronounced dead at the scene and the Metropolitan Police said the nature of their injuries was not confirmed and a number of roads in the area are closed the crime scene is in place so it's um, I mean the unfortunate sort of state of London is that we're hearing um, a great increase in overall life crime and, dare I say, um, gun violence. And um, and it, you know, um, calls for the argument of whether or not London is uh, as safe as it used to be. Um, and, you know, is it gaining or is it decreasing in the popularity that it once had? You know, that's a conversation to have. Now, the new Mets... Um, chief who's come in he has I think vouched that he wants to make sure that all the officers at least attend the calls for burglaries um, and be and show their presence whereas beforehand in uh, the the previous chiefs uh, Cassandra I think that perhaps wasn't on the um, on the table as such um, but we can only hope and pray that the situation you know with um, the overall levels of crime in London does change because at, at, it, at its current rate um, there's a great amount of uh, sceptics who are very much so pointing fingers at the police which shouldn't really be the case because you know, at the end of the day it comes down to um, budgeting and indeed the financial support that they receive um, and so that is um, definitely a cause of concern for the uh, 
Mayor of London too, you know, that should be on top of his priority list, which I presume it perhaps is. In other news, £400 worth of energy support vouchers are going unclaimed. Many customers with prepayment meters have not yet redeemed vouchers to help with energy bills. So I'm sure everybody will be aware of the uh, scheme which the government has brought in, the energy bill support scheme, that is. So it started from the 1st of October, so it's been about a month or so. Um, and households should have begun to receive the first instalment of the government's energy bill support. And a government spokesman told customers to have their credit applied to their meet as soon as possible. The energy bill support scheme was first announced by government in May and applies across England, Scotland and Wales. Under the scheme, everybody's energy bill will be cut by £400. This will be applied over six months with a reduction of £66 in October and November and £67 every month between December and March. For customers who have a traditional prepayment meter, which requires topping up via a key card in a local newsagent or post office to help with energy bills comes in the form of a voucher. The payment company PayPoint told BBC News that it expected to process 800,000 vouchers in October, worth a total of £52.8 million. However, the business said only £27 million had been redeemed. So if you are on a um, prepayment meter, then do make sure that you claim uh, this support and relief that the British government has introduced. Correct. Thank you for um, uh, for those news um, items, uh, Imam Shahzeb. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, um, we shall delve right into the first topic, which is about Halloween and the Islamic perspective of uh, Halloween. Allah, Allah. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Today is Monday, the 31st of October 2022. The time is 7.33 a.m. And we are about to delve into the first topic of the day, which is about Halloween and what is the Islamic perspective uh, of the Halloween. But uh, we will. Uh, start the the discussion by talking about what Halloween is and um, and how it began and um, what's the um, uh, what's the background uh, of the festival um, uh, Imam Daniel if you can uh, start off that discussion for us uh, please yeah sure why not so the gist of the story is Halloween is a festival celebrated around the world on 31st of October it is a day which has become commercialized. Most people began being unaware of its true origins. Instead, most associate Halloween with only pumpkins, scary costumes, bonfires, and trick-or-treating. Halloween is a reality and history of a darker side of festivities linked to sorcery, uh, spiritism, and occultist rituals. So, regarding the history and origin of Halloween, so Halloween is believed to originate from Christian practices and traditions. It is thought to be evening before the Christian holidays of All Hallows Days, uh, All Saints Day on November 1 and All Souls Day on November 2. In the early days of the church, major feasts in Christianity like Christmas, uh, 
um, Easter and Pentecost hosted vigils which started the night before as did the Feast of All Hallows. Um, all three of these days are called All Hallowtide and they occur at a time when Western Christians honor all saints and pray for recently departed souls. Uh, so the, now the question arises here, uh, what's the background um, regarding uh, Halloween's different costumes and traditions? So there are many traditions and customs uh, which have been celebrated on Halloween. Some predate to the origin of the event, whilst others have been added further down the centuries. Uh, for example, like um, uh, carving Halloween jack or uh, lanterns. Uh, this tradition originated in Ireland where people initia initially uh, used uh, turnips instead of pumpkins. This custom is based on a legend about a man called Stingy Jack who would repeatedly trap the devil and would only leave him if he promised that Jack would never go to hell. After his death, Jack realized that heaven did not require his soul and therefore he was left to wander the earth as a ghost forever. In addition, the devil is reported to have given Jack a lump, a lump of burning coal and so that he could light his way and eventually people started carving scary faces on objects in an attempt to protect themselves from the evil spirits. Right. Let's uh, bring in um, Dr. Mar Michael Carter into the discussion. Uh, Dr. Carter is a senior properties historian at English Heritage. Uh, uh, Michael's main interests are especially focused on monastic art and architecture and he has a PhD in art and architecture as well. Assalamu alaikum. Peace with you. A very warm welcome to The Breakfast Show. Uh, good morning. Nice to speak to you. Uh, likewise. Um, so, Dr. Carter, uh, can you give, give us a brief introduction? You would have heard we we, we tried to <laughs> to give a brief introduction um, uh, about um, about Halloween, but uh, can you start off with the English Heritage and how that began? Well, English Heritage is a charity responsible for the care of about four hundred historic sites, which are have been vested into the care of the English state. Uh -huh. And we've uh, existed in various forms since around about 1917, and uh, we became an independent charity just a few years ago. But sites in the care of English heritage include Stonehenge, De uh, Dover Castle, uh, some of the great monast ruined monasteries of medieval England, such as Revo, um, and we have sites dotted all around the country, and it's a membership membership-based organization uh, I think for a little over 50 pounds a year you get free access to all the sites and uh, we care for the sites making sure they don't fall down ruins are very very uh, expensive things to maintain you might be surprised to learn uh, but we also interpret them for the visiting public as well and that involves making up-to-date rigorous university-based scholarly research accessible for the visiting public I have been a member of English uh, Heritage um, uh, um, sites, I, uh, or ha have been a member of the the program that you guys offer. Yeah, and I and I have to say that that it's uh, I'd highly recommend it for to anybody who's listening. It's uh, you guys do a great job of maintaining all the properties, um, and it's uh, it's a fabulous membership. It's it's really really good value for money, and it's a really good day out over a weekend to any of of the sites that you have. So awesome work there. Thank you very much. Um, so, um, uh, moving to uh, to the subject that we are talking about today, which is Halloween. Um, 
what to you um, do you think is the origin of the word Halloween? Well, all, uh, the, the origin of the word is All Hallows' Eve, which is the, 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 the day or the night, more specifically, before All Saints' Day, which is tomorrow, one of the holiest days in the uh, Christian calendar, uh, specifically uh, the Christian calendar in, in the, Catholic, the Roman Catholic tradition, and also to some extent the Anglican tradition as well. But the actual festivities on Halloween, why is it marked, and why does it have its supernatural associations? Well, mm, that's a bit of a conundrum and um, some scholars would argue that it's because there was a ancient Celtic so we're going back to the midst of time before recorded history in uh, the British Isles before the arrival of the Romans and certainly before the Christianization of the British Isles that there was a that there was a festival around that time called Sowin which marked some people would argue the end of summer the beginning of uh, winter, that it was marked by feasting and storytelling, and also that there was some sense that the, the boundaries between this world and the next were, were weakened and allowing uh, ghosts and goblins to wander the earth. And there was some evidence that they may well have been a major festival around this time, um, uh, but it all comes from much later sources. It comes from um, written sources after, the, especially the Christianization of Ireland. So we have to be hesitant what we say. It does seem likely there was a festival here. But then the sort of associations of Halloween have been a major event. It come from its name, of course, you know, All Hallows' Eve. The, the two great Christian feasts of the dead, All, um, all Saints' Day has been celebrated um, on the 1st of November since around about the year 800 and then the day after the 2nd of November is All Souls Day and that becomes a major festival in around about the year 1000 and that's when uh, medieval Christians and Roman Catholics to this day pray for souls in purgatory that their uh, stays in, uh, the, in purgatorial pain will be eased and that they will find eternal rest in heaven. Um, and uh, it certainly was. The, the, both of those were major um, feasts uh, in, in the Christian calendar and were also marked with a great religious solemnity, but also to some extent with some celebrations as well. Now, I was very interested to hear just before I, um, uh, I came on about um, Ireland, and, you know, there were certainly traditions at Halloween tide. Um, that we recognize today and it did certainly does have strong supernatural associations and, and dr garza just on that point of the traditions um what are the typical customs and traditions of halloween right well the how traditional uh, customs of halloween that we could i mean a lot of the things we are familiar with today um, which it's impossible to avoid now, just driving through the typical English suburban street of houses decked with images of ghouls and goblins and cobwebs and just generally things to give you a pleasing terror. And also the carved pumpkins. And then also the people going door to door, trick or treating. Well, these are often all condemned as being, oh, this terrible modern American fads, these American innovations. And, and the, the, the modern incarnation of Halloween is very, very Americanized. But so many of them do have very, very old um, precursors in British traditions. A lot of them come from Ireland and Scotland and a little bit from the West Country in England. But for instance, the carving of root vegetables to make lanterns 
um, um, uh, 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 this time of year. Well, that's recorded in Ireland and is taken over to um, America uh, by Irish migrants in the 19th century, um, where it then becomes pumpkin carving because pumpkins are available over there, and also they are much easier to carve. As a little boy up in Yorkshire in the 1970s, we used to carve turnips, and it is very, very hard work. And despite my best intentions of doing them myself, it was normally my poor mother who ended up having to do them, and she did a very good, scary lantern, I can tell you. But also the dressing up and or what would be called guising. Um, that was a very strong traditions of that in Ireland, in Scotland and parts of Northern England. And um, this is long before the American decision of Halloween um, back in the uh, early 1970s. And we would dress up as ghosts as uh, wrapped in chains on Halloween night and we would go door to door knocking on people's door it wasn't like um, demanding sweets with menaces to an extent what Halloween is now it was kind of like to give our neighbours a bit of a fright and that's because Halloween was also associated with what nerds like me call licensed misrule basically you can be a little bit naughty and get away with it you know get an indulgent smirk from the neighbours or, the, or the, uh, at the very worst a kind of um, half serious telling off the distribution of sweet things, of little treats at Halloween also has very very long traditions and these def- this definitely go, this is one tradition we know of going back to the middle ages when um, people would go door to door the poor of the parish would go door to door knocking on doors and they would be given something little, little treats little cakes called soul cakes and in return for the distribution of this charity you would pray for the deceased members of the household who had distributed the charity and that actually that tradition persisted until gosh i think into the 20th century in um, some parts of england although it was shorn of its catholic and overtly religious overtones so there are deep, deep traditions um, associated with Halloween. Um, they've become, well, like so many things, they've become very, very secularized. They've become very, um, uh, to an extent, very, very Americanized and very, very focused along, upon children, as are so many um, uh, English and, uh, or more generally European calendar festivals now. Now, it's interesting about, you know, as well, about the, uh, the, the Halloween associations with ghosts and things like that, you know, and medieval ghosts are a very, very interesting phenomenon in, in, in Catholic tradition, that they could be scary, you know, you, medieval ghost stories would, uh, would, would tell people to be very, very shocked at the appearance of a spirit. Um, returning from purgatory, returning from the other world. But they come from this intermediate state of purgatory where they're being purged of their sins before they can go to heaven. And they've returned because they want prayers of intercession or the saying of masses, the celebration of church services. So their passage through um, purgatory can be hastened. So these ghosts have a very specific role in um, medieval um, uh, Christian belief about the salvation of souls and and people who recorded uh, most of the ghost stories that survived from the middle ages were monks and their uh, the the whole purpose of monasteries was underpinned by the saying of prayers for the salvation of souls in purgatory 
Oh, very interesting, uh, Dr. Carter. Um, and you sounded like quite a naughty child, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no, oh God, I, honestly, I, I think I should have been a little bit naughtier, to be honest. Um, but no, it was also, as I said, slightly like we'd, we'd knock on the door of a neighbour and then we'd run away and make a ghostly noise as we went away. Um, mm. and it was a well-established tradition. At the bits of Yorkshire that I come from, uh, it was called Mischief Night. Mm-hmm. And then that got, um, it was originally around Halloween tide, and he, then he gets moved to the 4th of November, which is the night before bonfire night. And um, so, you know, it's the whole, this, this kind of da- the darkening of the season has long been associated with basically having a bit of fun and, um, and also like, you know, the pleasing terrors of telling, your, telling uh, ghost stories and scaring one another witless. No, certainly. Um, Dr. Cotton, your experience, how has the English celebration of Halloween changed over time? Well, when I was, a, you know, when I was even in my lifetime, it has gone from being a rather small and niche celebration. It was no big deal, really, mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Um, it was, uh, and the fact that we celebrated it all was uh, residual um, celebrations of it in Northern England, and also because of my Irish heritage, uh, Halloween was all long a much bigger celebration in Ireland, and that's one of the reasons why it becomes so important in America. It's Irish migration to um, America, and then it's important back to here um, due to American culture. But the big celebration at this time of year used to be Guy Fawkes Night or Bonfire Night on the fifth of November, commemorating the um, attempt to. Uh, blow up Parliament in 1605 by Guy Fawkes and his uh, fellow uh, plotters. And it was originally conceived as being a very, very anti-Catholic festival and an assertion of the identity of uh, uh, a Protestant England, a very fierce Protestant identity as well, and had explicitly anti-Catholic overtones until well into the 19th, if not the 20th century. So to an extent, I think Halloween is it's to some extent supplanting um, Guy Fawkes Night as being the major calendar festival um, at this time of the year. And uh, Guy Fawkes Night, you know, obviously with the bonfires, burning of the fires and the letting off of fireworks and things like that, it still does happen. But it's now competing with Halloween. Halloween has become a much bigger deal. And, and, and to an extent, that's largely happened since the turn of the millennium as well. It's the... It, 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 the, it is a very, very Americanized festival, and as well as being a children's festival, it's very much a festival of, of young adults now as well. Um, I was uh, in Bristol at the weekend, and while sat on top of a bus, glanced down and saw this enormous queue outside a shop, and it was young adults queuing to purchase or to hire their Halloween um, costumes. Wow. That is um, certainly a change in times, you must say. Um, and just lastly, Dr. Carter, what is the most popular English heritage event for children? Well, um, we have, we have uh, as well as doing the, all the very nerdy stuff that I do, um, we, have very, we, we, all ha- we always have children-focused activities at our sites. And there was a kind of a various uh, of our sites over the last few uh, weeks, uh, the run-up to Halloween. Uh, we've had um, sort of trick-or-treat 
focused events of finding things, going around the site. And it's all about learning and having fun at the same time. And I think that's a winning combination. You're much more likely to retain some information if you're enjoying it. And what better way to enjoy history than to have a bit of fun and learn about history whilst you're having a bit of fun at the same time. Fantastic. Well, Dr. Michael Carter, thank you so much for being on this morning. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you, and hopefully we can hear from you very soon in the future. Okay, I hope so too. It's been a real pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much. Dr. Michael Carter, Senior Properties Historian at the English Heritage. Right. um, I think um, uh, let's take a a quick break now um, and continue this discussion on uh, on Halloween um, after the break and and maybe talk about uh, it from, uh, from the Islamic perspective as well. So... Uh, a lot more coming up uh, right after this break. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. May peace and blessing Allah be upon you all. Welcome to the live edition of Breakfast Show from Voice of Islam. So, as we were discussing about our in our first segment uh, about Halloween's and its customs and traditions. So now we will go through some, uh, you know, psychological impacts of celebrating Halloween. So the research has shown that Halloween can be a strikingly negative experience for many individuals uh, who may have recently had nightmares or endured the bereavement of a loved one. For instance, uh, there have been some cases where soldiers uh, who have previously fought in a certain war have later become been uh, negatively affected by certain parts of Halloween and have experienced thought of uh, suicide and death too many halloween is nothing uh, too many halloween is nothing but mere a fun and a way of uh, releasing their emotions but for some it can be a harrowing and emotionally disturbing experience some of the ways halloween may negatively affect someone like you know people who um, who may have suffered various traumatic uh, incidents before may find it hard to cope with the reality of seeing skeletons and ghosts uh, straddling on the the streets. Uh, It may trigger uh, some negative emotions for for some people, like sometimes uh, certain events or songs can trigger extremely negative emotions. Um, as the individual may re- recollect something from their childhood uh, which may be associated with the event or song. 
uh, it may uh, be the cause of stirring night terrors or post-traumatic symptoms. Like many individuals, especially the young, experience nightmares. Uh, sorry, uh, especially the young experience uh, nightmares, and therefore it is imperative to keep them away from such situations, uh, where the likelihood of them experiencing nightmares may increase. Uh, not only the uh, not only are the individuals more susceptible to psychological issues to on Halloween, but it is also recorded that on Halloween, uh, crime levels also tend to escalate as uh, individuals begin destroying property. Even the young children tend to be in danger, or as level of uh, vehicle accidents also slightly increase. Uh, furthermore, for some individuals. The trauma associated with Halloween can be overwhelming. For instance, uh, individuals who have recently been victim to natural disasters or terrorism may find it extremely difficult to cope when people dress up as certain characters as that may steer over various negative thoughts and emotions. Certain objects like sticks, knives and other weapons uh, can have uh, a, a debilita debilitating effect not only on victims who may have been in a situation with these objects, uh, but it can also adversely affect the young children. In addition, uh, individuals who suffer from uh, sleep paralysis uh, or nightmares may find it exceedingly uh, disturbing when they see people dressed as witches and vampires as they may end up uh, triggering underlying nightmares. So that's a case that um, not only people, you know, try to take this as a fun uh, activity, while on the other side, uh, we can see the its uh, negative impacts uh, on people like, you know, some people who come just come from, who just came from the war, or, you know, some people who has got any uh, you know any trauma in their childhood so on such people it can have a very negative side uh, effects or you know uh, it can have uh, very adverse effects and they can they have to go through you know many challenges or difficulties throughout their life then so likewise you know couple of day, a couple of days, uh, days ago, we have seen a very tragic, um, sad incident in uh, South Korea, uh, where over 100 people have died. Um, uh, they were all, you know, uh, gathered uh, in their uh, city town, and uh, uh, a sad incident happened, and over 100 people have died over there. So, you know, such. Um, incidents you know, disturbs the whole society uh, at large and um, we should try to you know avoid and um, such activities uh, which has got no you know uh, no uh, positive or uh, positive effects on society or you know, which has no beneficial or productive effect. So, while you know, focusing if we focus on the Islamic perspective of uh, uh, regarding the Halloween, 
we can find you know many a very profound teaching regarding not specifically uh, halloween but in general we can find uh, the teachings uh, which can guide us which can be a guiding light for us uh, for example if um, if we in general go through many uh, abrahamic prophets uh, came uh, in the past so many abrahamic uh, prophets have warned um, to keep away from such practices uh, relating to divinations uh, sorcery and many devout believers you know the f- uh, follow the teachings of the scriptures but uh, the scripture revealed through the holy prophet uh, peace and blessings of Allah, of Allah be upon him the holy quran takes this subject a step further by defining uh, by defining uh, the logic and wisdom in not uh, partaking in any such harmful innovations by introducing and explaining the concept of shirk right um yeah i think um, there's obviously lots to talk about there and lots to discuss and i think we should probably talk about um a little bit about what happened in in south korea last night and um, or or yesterday um uh, as well as uh, many incidents of fires and arsons which uh, takes place uh, take place uh, all across the world and uh, in the us as well so a lot more on this topic uh, coming up right after this news break uh, do stay tuned You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Welcome back to this live edition of the Breakfast Show from um, Southland Studios of Voice of Islam. Today is Monday the 31st of October. And we're talking about Halloween this morning. And we in this uh, part of uh, the segment we're trying to look at Halloween in a slightly Uh, from a slightly different lens, from a slightly different angle. Imam Shahzeb, if I can bring you in uh, in this discussion, uh, you know, it is presented um, to the world as a, as a fun uh, event, uh, a fun inverted commas there. But um, every year there are incidents of arson, theft uh, and whatnot um, in America and uh, around the world. Uh, then we saw the horrific events uh, <coughs> of um, uh, of South Korea uh, in Itaewon um, yesterday. Um, isn't it time that we view it from uh, from a slightly different angle? That you know, this is probably not you know, if people are losing their lives, uh, is it is it really fun? It's a very pertinent question, and the answer is very simple. the financial gains that are made from this celebration and it's sad to say but is quite frankly the reality outweigh the loss of any um, property or damage and dare i say life because i can only assume that the commercial revenue which is ascertained from you know renting out these costumes selling various items um and the overall um marketing of halloween mm. probably generates you know billions of billions dollars. of dollars worldwide 
Um, so it's, you know, well, on the one hand, do you lose those billions or do you want to safeguard, um, you know, people's possessions, properties, livelihoods and indeed lives? So that's I, the question. I, I, I'd argue that we could save those billions instead of, you know, looking at it from the use of those billions. I mean, they can, many households would uh, would end up saving that money, not to mention precious lives. It's, it's a very good point. Exactly. And I can only presume that the police and indeed the various forces around the world probably have a separate plan, uh, you know, mm. funds um, dedicated to policing when mm. it comes to this day. Um, so overall, yes, there probably would be a lot of money that is saved up if, you know, um, this event wasn't to occur. But, um, you know, it's it's the reality that, you know, people want to, um, quote unquote, enjoy themselves. Um, and in the case of South Korea, their enjoyment has uh, cost a pretty penny, to put it quite frankly. Um, you know, and, that, and our hearts and prayers do go out to those, mm. you know, family members and, and you know, dear ones that have lost, yeah. you know, their um, friends and families. So unnecessary, unnecessarily, honestly, unnecessarily, it could have been avoided. Yeah. They could have all been here with us, um, yeah. but it's not the case, I guess. Um, you know, so what can be said? You know, if we understand the true um, concept and history of Halloween, then you know, dare I say, anybody would be involved. Um, but it's just like. Um, Christmas now, you know, mm. regardless of whether you are a Christian or not, it's part of your, the culture. Um, you celebrate it, you're, mm. you're part of the gifts and the overall... Um, Very commercial, yeah. You know, yeah, it's commercialized. Exactly, yeah. So that's what Halloween is now. Um, but I would argue that, you know, Christmas, I mean, no... Uh, there's no damage as there's, such. There's no damage, there are no fires, there's no arson uh, as such. And uh, But this is, uh, you know, if if you look at it, um, uh, from a holistic perspective, I think isn't it about time that we uh, that we look at uh, that we can actually see that the cons outweigh the the pros here. It's true they do, but it goes back to the same point really. Um, you know the the question of absolutely eradicating Halloween. Um, you know to those big companies. Um, who you market Halloween, you know, will certainly have a, a bigger voice um, than ours because of the amount of revenue which is generated. Um, and you know, regardless of how, you know the loss of possessions, the loss of life, and indeed the damage to various items and indeed households, you know, those things people would say you know happen year on year um, and will continue to happen. And people don't want to lose the opportunity to make you know, billions, let's put it quite frankly. Um, so, you know, we could only hope and pay that rationality and in some form of rationality, dare I say, mm. you know, uh, does indeed uh, yeah, set a precedent. Um, and this celebration... Um, is looked at from, is a, looked from, at a, from a more of a holistic point of view, exactly. more of a realist. Thank you very much uh, for that, uh, Imam Shazim, and, and uh, let's close this uh, uh, this discussion on that. Uh, the next topic that uh, we shall talk about um, is about uh, the Sunday scares that a lot of uh, people experience um, uh, in terms of going back uh, to re- uh, to work uh, or to school, actually, on on Monday. Today being Monday, I think it's a very pertinent question to ask. Uh, so let's talk about that uh, right after this uh, short break. Allahu Akbar, Allahu 
Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Today is Monday, the 31st of October 2022. Uh, it's coming up to almost 8:15 a.m., and we're about to start the second segment, which is about uh, anxiety um, about returning to work and school on on a Monday. So the Sunday scares that regularly affect more than two thirds uh, of Britain who report work stress, lack of sleep. Uh, looming to-do lists as the primary cause of anxiety before the start of the working week. The worst affected uh, are young adults, with 74% of those aged 8 to 18 to 24 experiencing what psychologists call heightened anticipatory anxiety as the weekend comes to a close. The government unit responsible for improving national public health policy has unveiled a new campaign urging people to be kind to your mind. The campaign is backed by a number of celebrities, including BBC One radio um, host uh, Wick Hope, television personality Scarlett Moffat and pop star Tom Grennan, along with leading psychologist Kimberly Wilson. The Sunday scares are shown to peak just about uh, after 5 p.m. on Sunday as thoughts turn to the week ahead with Google searches around sadness spiking as many people look for help. According to Google Trends, searches for anxiety have increased 170% over the past decade. The new research commissioned by OHID found that overall 67% of Britons frequently experienced anxiety on a Sunday to distract themselves. Those aged 18 to 24 said they turned to social media. Those aged 25 to 32 were um, most likely to binge watch TV and respondents aged 33 to 40 most likely to comfort eat. Uh, Imam Shahzeb, do you experience Monday blues? Um, Fortunately not. Um, And, you know, that could be the case for many others. But uh, but the, the world that we live in now, we do highlight these, um, you know, mental health issues. And we, you know, should do so because for a long time it's been a stigma in various um, communities to not talk about these issues. But on the flip side, um, dare I say there are other parts of the world where these issues, simply nobody has luxury to discuss these issues um, because of the circumstances that they live in, um, where it's really hand-to-mouth and and it's very unfortunate. Um, And the overall perception of anxiety and indeed you know this Sunday scaries is the first time I've heard the the term um, perhaps it's taken from this piece in the Guardian um, somewhat um, something new uh, I, I guess uh, the terminology but indeed it's more or less of the same understanding of it being related to anxiety and indeed the overall pressures of day to day life I think I mean I'll probably go against the grain here and say that anxiety in general, um, or from at least an Islamic point of view, um, 
there is no such thing as anxiety uh, because as Muslims we put our trust and faith in Allah the Almighty and you know if we if we are overwhelmed because that's what this is right this is being overwhelmed by your day-to-day activities related to work um, and it says it peaks just after 5 p.m. on a Sunday which is quite strange because Sunday's usually the day off but um, so you yeah so so this is all you know almost sounded like sounding like it's it all sounds very foreign mm. uh, to you uh, so you certainly cannot relate to uh, I can't unfortunately no. yeah absolutely so I think you're, you're, you're the wrong person to ask this question then I'll ask this question to me yeah. uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I, I tell you what uh, have you had an upset stomach Are you have you got trouble sleeping headaches difficulty breathing sounds like someone's eaten too much to me <laughs> <laughs> I was just joking no, no, it could be <laughs> Sure. Okay. Let's let, let's bring in uh, Dr. David uh, Kripiski, um, who has worked in mental health sector for uh, over 30 years, in which uh, he has developed national service uh, uh, user networks in England, Scotland, and Wales. Assalamualaikum. Peace be with you. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. Lovely to speak to you again. Uh, morning, uh, uh, Doctor. Um, so the government unit responsible for improving national public health policy has unveiled a new campaign urging people to be kind to your mind. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little more about that? Well, it, it builds on the um, Every My Matters public mental health campaign. And, and mm-hmm. I was privileged enough to be able to uh, work on the early developments of that campaign. Uh, and, and the important thing about this is that it was a re- it w- it's really designed to focus on, on things that people can do to support themselves and each other to avoid those day-to-day anxieties, stresses, and, and things that affect your, your mood and your sleep, slipping into things that are going to have a serious effect on your, on your mental health. And mm-hmm. there is a lot that we can do uh, to support ourselves and each other to, to keep our mental health in a good state and to certainly to, to stop it getting into a into into the kind of place where you're going to need mental health services or, or, or support. Right. So, uh, Dr. David, if I can uh, ask for uh, some expert advice uh, um, uh, on, on this. Uh, so I have an eight-year-old, yep. and uh, last week was half term, and yesterday she announced uh, that she doesn't want to go to school this morning. Yeah. <laughs> How would you have dealt with that situation? <laughs> I'm, I, I have many blessings in my life, but an eight-year-old isn't one of them. So, um, I think we, all of us throughout our life, uh, and it, it's, a, it's a little bit of a while since I was an eight-year-old, but we, there are all things that, that kind of worry us and concern us. And I think um, one of the things that, that happens when we start to grow up is that uh, we need we need to get better at facing those things that that, that, that cause us fear and anxiety or, or affect our mood and I think w- there there are lots of things that uh, we we'd love to avoid uh, and, and 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 the more the more we grow up and the more we are adults the more we realize that, that actually we just can't avoid them we have to kind of face them and get on with them and I, I think um, it, it, it's a perfectly normal part of, of growing up is, is mm. that kind of, and I don't want us to go to school. I mean, there were, there, there were loads of things I didn't want to do when I was, <laughs> was that age, and there are still things that I don't want to do. Uh, in, in terms of being a parent, then, you know, there, there are some, you know, there are, 
firstly, r- reminding reminding people about the, the good things that come with school. So, so seeing your friends, seeing mm. those teachers mm. that you mm. like and get on with, and, and mm. but for for almost everyone, there's there's going to be really good parts about that. And, and, and once you get into the swing of it, and as soon as you you, mm. you go through the school gates and, and and see your friends, then then things will will definitely get better, and you'll 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 just get excited, and you'll have forgotten all the all the other bits and pieces. Um, there, you know, there are some very specific circumstances that you know that may be causing anxieties for people, and sometimes sometimes that that's academic things. There may be particular lessons that people don't like, or um, in extreme cases, they may be you know they, they, there may be uh, you know there may be bullying or, or, or other particular things at school that are causing particular anxiety. And in those cases, it's really important that you have a you have the kind of uh, environment, family environment, where people could just say what's worrying them, um, and and so if there's something genuinely concerning and worrying that might need to be addressed at the school, and I'm, I'm absolutely sure that isn't the case with your eight-year-old, um, <laughs> then you know having a climate in which they can you can talk about that mm. is really important, and that's something that all, all families can do. Um, but but mostly, you know, by by kind of mid morning Monday, it'll be long forgotten. And, sure, and, and absolutely. Other things will be yeah. much more important. No, you, you're absolutely right. Actually, as soon as uh, uh, you know she she would cross the gate, I'm sure, uh, which I hope she would have crossed by now. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm here so. in the studio, certainly <laughs> fingers crossed uh, there. But um, yeah, it's it, it's really you know the getting up part and getting ready part, which uh, yeah. which, which is the is the challenge. And if I can if I can uh, you know um, ask the same question for for. Adam, so, so the advice that you um, that you were giving earlier about um, you know facing up to reality and so, would your advice to an adult be who's experiencing anxiety uh, um, be to just get on with it? Well, I, I don't want to I don't want to make it sound glib, and I don't want to make it minimize the real stress and anxiety that people mm. experience. But I think one of the things we, we we sometimes get into the habit of is worrying about worry and and, and stressing mm. about stress. Uh, and you know, the, the, the prompt for this discussion was you know, the, those kind of Sunday terrors that, the, that we all have. And, um, you know, I, I'm lucky this morning, you know, this is the, this is the start, start of my week, and I can't, can't wish for a better start for a week than, you know, a nice conversation about mental health <laughs> with, uh, with Voice of Islam. But, you know, it, it, one of the things that's important for people who, who do, you know, who do work hard during the week is to make the most of the weekend and to try really hard not to not to, to lose a big chunk of it worrying about the week ahead and and there are things you can do about that firstly um, you know do some things that you really enjoy over the weekend uh, and that might be spending time with people that you enjoy, enjoy spending time with that might be <coughs> getting out and having a bit of a walk I mean last, this weekend was a bit of a mixed mixed weather weekend but we still had a chance to, to get out and, sure. and enjoy the autumn um make sure you, you yeah if you're a family make sure you do spend some time together and enjoy that uh, and and try if you if you have got a stressful week ahead of you try and limit the amount of time you spend thinking about that and, and it, it, it's it's not a bad thing to, to to prepare for the week ahead but don't let it become an obsession don't let it become the thing that that drives your sunday afternoon evening just just focus on okay these are the things that i need to think about spend you know spend 20 minutes spend half an hour thinking about it and then you know then stop thinking about it and and do something else instead and 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 you know try and make you know try and make sure that you know come monday morning when you mm-hmm. are 
there in work and if you're if you're speaking to colleagues there's something that you can talk about that you, know, you enjoyed over the weekend and that's the kind of thing that really matters do you, would you recommend something like uh, you know having a morning routine where you um you exercise a little bit and um um uh, you prepare for your day or for your um, Absolutely. I mean, w- one of the things that we know, people, people who, who, who have really good mental health seem to be those that get into good habits. And that's about you know, everything from good sleep habits to good kind of good, good daytime habits. And having a good routine is really important. And I think one of the things, certainly um, we know that these, these anxieties are, are more frequent and prevalent amongst younger people. And, and, and that's kind of you know, people in their, their, their teens and, and, and 20s. And that's because perhaps you haven't got into the hang of establishing a routine at that stage, and you're still trying to work out what works for you. Um, and, 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 and just remembering, you know, remembering what makes a good weekend and remembering what makes, a, you know, what, what makes the difference between a, a good and bad weekend, what makes a, a good day, uh, and focusing on those things is a really helpful thing to do. Now, there, there are things that are difficult that you can't avoid, um, and it's it's sensible and useful to prepare for those, but you're going to handle them better if you're sleeping well, if you're eating well, and if you're exercising well. And 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 those aspects of a good healthy lifestyle are also the things that characterise a good mentally healthy lifestyle. Uh, Dr. David, uh, can you tell us about that? How does every mind matters improve? You know, public mental health and specifically anxiety. Um, well. When we were when we were building uh, when we were building the campaign, we we wanted to pick the the topics that people were asking most about. So we anxiety was one of the key topics because we get so many inquiries about that, and that is one of the the, the big indicators. I would say anxiety and sleep are the two most important things to be aware of for your mental health, um, and there are a lot of evidence based approaches to improving anxiety and the, the way every mind matters works is that it, it asks you some simple questions to try and identify what the priorities are for you as an individual and then it prompts with some suggestions that might help you manage that now if, if doing that quick five question quiz uh, highlights anxiety as an issue then what it will do is it will give you a, a personalized action plan that that, that helps you target um, the things that are affecting your anxiety are affecting your mental health. And, and, and we know that um, it, it behind the quiz there are, certainly when I worked on it, there were something like 120 different evidence-based activities. And we scanned all the literature to find all the things that we know mm-hmm. can help minimize anxiety in a low-risk, most high-effective way. And, and what that what Every Mind Matters does is it's, it's a simple way of, of, of giving you those things that we know work, um, but will, are more likely to work for you because of the circumstances that you find yourselves in. Uh, Dr. David, you know, uh, nowadays everybody have got um, a phones in their hands and uh, the research found that, that many people turn to social media, binge watching TV yeah. and, you know, uh, comfort eating when they experience uh, center scaries. So how effective are these in, you know, elevating anxiety and, you know, what are the other ways of elevating anxiety? Well, I think there are, there are things that we all tend to do that are unhealthy responses uh, to stress and anxiety. And, and Comfort eating is definitely one of them, and, and, and there are plenty of others. And I think the, the point about um, 
Every Mind Matters and the point about supporting family and friends who may be experiencing anxiety is to encourage on healthy responses to it rather than unhealthy responses. Now, uh, we still don't really understand the, the impact of social media uh, and, and it's important not to demonise it because lots of people find it a really good and supportive mechanism for, 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 for supporting themselves and, and each other when mental health is difficult. But... You, you don't want to over-rely on it, and you certainly don't want to believe everything you see on people's Instagrams, and you, you, you don't want to try and measure up your life against somebody's mm -hmm. airbrushed perfect life. Um, so, so sometimes it's, it's a good idea to, to, to switch off those, those, those devices and just kind of focus on what's important for you and, and those around you. And, and certainly we know that... Um, if you if you can if you can resist the temptation to spend that that kind of hour or two before bedtime scanning through your socials, then that will probably help you sleep better, and that will certainly be uh, reduce your anxiety and be good for your mental health. Mm, yeah, that's perfect. So, is there a way to prevent this feeling of dread and anxiety before uh, returning to work on a Monday? I think that the best way is to plan to make the most of your weekends and by that I don't mean try and cram everything in that you need to do but just just think about what a nice Saturday what a nice Sunday looks like uh, and, and that will be different for different people um, but if it can involve a little bit of exercise if it can involve catching up with some people who are important to you if it can involve a little bit of downtime uh, and if it can involve just you know, le leaving those handheld devices yeah, on, on the bedside for a little bit longer, then that's probably going to help. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. So it's all about, you know, positivity. So how can we, you know, stay positive all the time, as you have said, that just think about before the day? Uh, I, I, think, I, mean, I think the most important is that it, when, you, when you've had things that you've enjoyed, remember them and share them. Uh, and, and, and one of the things that's really interesting, you, you mentioned at the very start, being kind to yourself and being kind to your mental health. Um, what we also know is that if you're kind to other people, that actually hugely helps your mental health. And I think um, you know, one of the most important things about being human and, and about being part of a community is supporting each other. And when you do that, that's incredibly good for your mental health. So you're helping somebody else, but you're also helping yourself. And that's, that can only be a good thing. Yeah, just one last question, uh, Dr. David. Uh, what external help and support is available to people, you know, uh, who experienced Sanders carries? Okay, well, if you if you live in England, then you can refer yourself to um, talking therapies via uh, the Increased Access to Psychological Therapies, or IAPT. You should always, uh, if you're really worried about your mental health, you should speak to your GP. Um, if, if, if you're desperate or you're with someone who's desperate, then Samaritans are an excellent source of advice. <laughs> the Mental Health Foundation, our website has good advice for it and of course there's um you know there's there's community pharmacies but it's really really important if you're worried about someone speak to them and and, and support them and encourage them to to get the help that they might need thank you so much dr david for being That's with us this pleasure. morning it's a pleasure to have you thank you very much thank you so much that was dr david um he's worked in the mental health sector for over 30 years now in which he has developed national service users networks in england um absolute pleasure to be uh, having the program we'll take a short break and after the break we'll continue with this segment um and um, see what further discussions will develop peace be upon you i'd like to talk about something that i think is quite common 
that being feelings of emptiness or a sense of disconnection that doesn't necessarily fall into the medical definition of depression or other pathologies. Although personally, I do think it can be related to conditions like that quite intimately for some people. A lot of people feel an underlying sense of disconnection, which can manifest in many different ways. Feelings of emptiness or loneliness even when we aren't alone, a terrible inability to be alone with our own thoughts, an overwhelming fear of death or feelings of nihilism. This feeling of disconnection has been attributed to a whole myriad of things. The breakdown of the typical nuclear family, isolation from nature and each other, and even growing economic inequality. And while I think all of these things might contribute to or exacerbate the situation, my own personal opinion is that the causative reason for our feeling of disconnection is that we've abandoned a key part of what makes us human, our spirituality, our practices of prayer and contemplation, and an understanding that there is a reality that is not accessible to our material everyday senses, that can only be accessed through spiritual practices, but are nevertheless as essential to us as our physical food is to our bodies. After all, the common thread that links immersion in nature or connection with other people is an attempt to fulfill the need to unify ourselves, or at least to feel intimately connected with something greater, something that is transcendent, essential, unchanging, beautiful, nourishing. Almost every human culture of the past seemed to understand this to some degree or another. So it's actually quite remarkable that our now global culture has by and large abandoned any notion of these ideas or practices as valid. Historically, there are a lot of reasons for this that are maybe for another day. But I will say that we're now feeling the negative consequences of the attitude that stems from dismissive, closed-minded materialism. A lot of people attempt to medicate their internal sense of disconnection with anything that will placate their inner disquiet, anything that can partially replicate the feeling of connection for a short period of time. Such measures often include avoiding being alone, using work, friendships, relationships, sex or even drugs as a kind of stopgap to fill that void. In my personal opinion, while these things might work in the short term, they don't get to the root of the problem, and this means that all of these activities are driven by a need to be made whole, instead of out of a choice to add to an internal state that already feels whole. When the stopgap measures, for whatever reason, are no longer available, the feeling of disconnection returns, often worse than before. So I want to be very clear about what I believe and have experienced is the root cause of all this and what is the attendant cure. In my opinion and personal experience, the ultimate root cause of this is the elimination of spirituality and spiritual practices, especially regular prayer, from human life. The function of prayer is to disconnect from the continuous external stimulus that we receive for a brief time, and to attempt to connect ourselves with the higher power, God or Allah. Indeed, to my mind, the mere fact that human beings feel such constant yet varied inner discomfort when we abandon this practice is proof enough that it's something many are in need of. Some of you watching now will agree or have had similar experiences yourselves. Others are going to be more skeptical. To those who ask specifically how one should pray, the answer is that prayer ultimately is varied and personal. But all effective prayer has, throughout human history, been noted to have some common traits. Namely, that it is addressed directly to God and not through any intermediary, that it is heartfelt as much as is possible, and that it's regular. On this point, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, wrote, he who supplicates with the sincerity of his soul is never truly frustrated. That prosperity which cannot be achieved through riches and authority and health, but which is in the hand of God, and he bestows it in whatever shape he wills, is bestowed through perfect prayer. I'm personally confident that anyone, no matter their past, who engages in this practice persistently, say on a daily basis, even for a few minutes, and keeps an open heart and mind, will find that their internal state and their experience of living changes dramatically for the better. 
The feelings of disconnection and internal isolation that they may have felt previously morph into the opposite, feelings of peace, harmony, connectedness. To those who are skeptical, or those who are agnostic, I would simply remind them that a truly rational skeptic puts even those ideas and theories that they are most skeptical about to a deliberate and honest test, and that if the purported benefits of a practice are truly that extraordinary, then that at least is evidently worth trying. You may be pleasantly surprised as to what you experience and find. In summary, I'd like to leave you with a few Quranic verses that crystallize what I've spoken about. And when my servants ask thee about me, say, I am near. I answer the prayer of the supplicant when he prays to me, so they should hearken to me and believe in me that they may follow the right way. Therefore remember me, and I will remember you, and be thankful to me, and do not be ungrateful to me, and seek help with patience and prayer. And this indeed is hard except for the humble in spirit. I, it is in the remembrance of Allah that hearts can find comfort. Peace be upon you. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome back to this live edition of The Breakfast Show um, where we're talking about uh, Monday morning anxieties. Uh, uh, let's go straight to our second guest uh, for the segment, uh, uh, Mr. Dave Smithson, who is an operations director at Anxiety UK, which is the leading UK charity supporting people with anxiety, stress and uh, anxiety-based uh, depression. Assalamu alaikum, peace with you. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me to join you this morning. Excellent. So, Mr. Spitzen, um, why do Sunday scares affect so many people? Um, is there a specific cause? I think um, it's obviously related to either school or work, and often can be related to one of the causes of anxiety. It can be um, difficult interpersonal relationships, so there may be somebody in the in, in the workplace that the individual has a particular anxiety around their relationship with that person, and that could be a colleague, or it could be the line manager, um, uh, or in, if, if it's in, in a university or school, it could be a uh, another pupil, another student, or or, or a, uh, a lecturer or teacher that, that they have a particularly difficult relationship with and that creates that anxious feeling that worry about where is that is that conflict going to come to the fore and particularly at the start of the working week it's we had maybe you know, 48 hours of a respite from that situation and um and, and then all of a sudden it's looming again it's, it's there in front of them and it's getting close to that time when they've got to go back in on the monday morning to to face that situation that's causing and creating that anxiety. Or it may be just be the, the level of work and the pressure of work that they're facing and they know what's you know, what's waiting for them when they get back to work on, on Monday morning. And Mr. Smithson, do you think some people are more likely to experience this type of anxiety uh, than other people? Um, I mean, with any kind of anxiety, it's difficult to know, you know how many people are going to experience it. I mean, we've seen about one in four, one in five people experiencing some form of anxiety uh, at some stage in their life. Um, and that can manifest itself in many ways, whether it's it's that Monday morning anxiety, whether it's health anxiety, it's generalised anxiety, lots of different forms and types of anxiety. So it's, it's difficult to say that you know, um, some people are going to be particularly prone to that form of anxiety. It's to say it's, 
it, it, it's often related to a clash of, of, of relationships, a personality clash with an individual in the workplace, say be that a manager or a colleague, um, that can be a cause. It could just be a general anxiety about about their, their, their work environment, it, lots of different causes, so it's hard to pinpoint exactly what um, what makes somebody prone to it, if you know what I mean. Mm. Um, and why is it so that the worst affected appear to be young adults aged between 18 and 24? Yeah, that was an interesting um, statistic that I noticed you guys have pulled out. I mean, they, I think maybe, it's again, it's it's it's... it's one of the things we're finding is people are more comfortable, um, and, and that younger generation are more comfortable in particular, about talking about their mental health, about reporting uh, episodes of, of anxiety. So I do think that there is a higher level of reporting in that age group than in older age groups. There's this whole stigma still associated with mental health, uh, mental health, mental well-being, and I think that that's that's a factor. Um, but I do think as well, people of the younger generation are finding it more difficult to transition sometimes from school and university and college into the workplace, and maybe that that may be a factor as well. So again, I think we'd need to do a little bit more of a more detailed and in-depth study into it to understand exactly what the cause of that is. But I do think that there are some factors at play there that um, that would highlight that, would draw, make it seem that that younger 18 to 24 year old generation are are experiencing more than than, than, than those older than them or certainly reporting it more. So, Mr. What are some of the methods that can sort of alleviate the symptoms of anxiety um, and how can Sunday scaries specifically be tackled? Yeah, we... Um there's lots of different uh, t- types of, of, of treatment and, and, and ways that you can tackle your anxieties yourself. Um, I mean, obviously, ultimately, if it's if it's affecting you, the anxiety that you're living with is, is affecting your ability to function normally day to day, and you probably need to come see your doctor or GP, or possibly need some professional help, maybe some talking therapy. But at the other end of the scale, there are some some simple self-help tools that you can turn to you're just taking care of yourself looking after yourself being kind to yourself um, understanding what anxiety is understanding how it manifests and what causes it can, can in itself sometimes help you manage it better if you know what's going on because sometimes people will, quite often will phone our our helpline talking about their symptoms and saying I don't know what this is I don't understand what's happening and when you explain it to them, they're all oh, right. So sometimes just understanding what, what the anxiety is, what's causing it, what's manifesting, how it manifests itself, can be a help in itself. And then there's some simple tools, some simple distraction techniques, grounding techniques, breathing techniques, breathing exercises that people can do. When you're starting to feel that anxiety rise in, in, inside your body, those kind of tools are kind of uh, self-help tools and exercises can help manage anxiety they can help reduce the level of anxiety um, so for example a breathing exercise you're breathing shortly in through your nose holding that breath and breathing out long through your mouth so a shorter inhale than a, a longer out exhale 
can help calm the nervous system. So the 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 the, the, the polyvagal nerves that, that actually activate anxiety can be calmed down by that breathing exercise. So there's lots of lots of different tools and techniques that you can try to help manage and reduce the levels of anxiety that you are feeling. And then there's other things such as these days there's lots of apps available with different tools on that you can use to to try and calm and relax yourself. Um, so lots of lots of different things that you can you can look at and try that, that may help reduce and manage their anxiety because ultimately what we want people to do because anxiety can be a helpful emotion to experience it can you know, protect us sometimes from from danger if you think back to the fight or flight response that is a, a natural reaction that we have when in face with danger so what we need to do is, is manage that anxiety so that we're in control of it rather than the anxiety being in control of us Mm, and a very pertinent point there. And just lastly, um, so Dave, can you tell us um, about some of the initiatives which Anxiety UK has uh, started, which will support those people that do um, suffer from anxiety? Sure. I mean, we obviously we talked about information just now and, and, and understanding it. So we've had lots of resources, booklets you can download from our website, fact sheets about the different types of anxiety. These are all is all free to people to download. Um, you can access talking therapy via ourselves. Our members get access to discounted therapy. But we've also put that one of the things that, that's come out of the COVID-19 pandemic is that we obviously had to put a lot of our services online and we've developed a whole series of online courses and groups. There's a, a therapist-led anxiety management course now that we provide that runs for six weeks every couple of months. We have art for anxiety relief courses. We have um, um, peer support groups um, several times a week, three times a week. We have calm club sessions nine times a week. And these are all um, um, short from 30 minute to one hour courses and groups that we run uh, every week um, to help people um, share and, 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 and manage their anxiety, talk to others with the same lived experience. So the peer support group is, is very much about supporting one another. So there's a whole raft of different initiatives that we've that we've launched over the last two years. They're all available for the you know, people to access um, uh, online at, at, at any time. Fantastic, Mr. David Smith, and thank you so much for being on this morning. And um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to, to join you and to speak to you. And thank you for inviting me on again. Thank you so much. Mr. Dave Smithson, Operations Director at Anxiety UK, leading UK charities supporting people with anxiety, stress and anxiety-based depression. So it's very wonderful to hear from him and um, it's um, always a pleasure to have guests, experts on the topics that can help us navigate through these segments. Otherwise, without them, um, it'd be very much so difficult. Uh, we'll take a Yeah, so we're coming to the end of uh, uh, this segment and the show. Um, any last messages uh, for our listeners around uh, what um, you know we played a clip earlier as well which talked about um, uh, you know the uh, uh, the verse Allah uh, Allah that mine al-qulu which mm. uh, essentially means it's uh, the remembrance uh, remembrance of Allah uh, in which hearts uh, find uh, through which hearts find peace um, yeah so how how would you close this topic I think that's a, that's a very you know um pertinent point there you made uh, you know, th- th- that quotation of the early Quran in chapter 13 verse 29 um, and that's the essence really um, what Islam's approach is to any form of mental health um, 
you know, um, to really turn towards the Almighty, um, to find solace and indeed comfort uh, with converse with um, you know the greatest architect there is, um, and the position which Islam takes on the whole issue is you know building that connection with Allah the Almighty, whereby you know. Um, we currently live in a world with so many distractions, um, with so much pressure, um, with so much stress. And to take a step back and to really um, focus on, you know, the five daily prayers which are incumbent upon you know, all Muslim men and women, um, you know, really um, will um, bring about that disconnect from the world and open, you know, our eyes to the to the overall um, bigger picture, which is to make a way and indeed um, hate towards um, you know the hereafter which is the ultimate um, goal for all Muslims here to achieve you know the pleasure of a land thereby be rewarded by being granting uh, being granted the, um, uh, the everlasting abode so that has always been the stance of Islam um, you know when you know times are tough and we've heard this from our various um, callers and experts you know to make sure that um, we take a step back and you know whether whether it's through um, our breathing our physical sort of um, actions that we can take or whether it's um, simply um, you know reflecting and indeed uh, counting our blessings these are all the positions in, in actuality which you know Islam promotes and indeed Islam has been that religion um, which is always really focused on um, helping others, you know, you'll be surprised um, to learn actually that through the pandemic, so many people um, helped others, and by doing so, you know, so many people said that their mental health um, improved, and and this sort of attribute, or indeed this ability to this altruistic attribute of going out of one's way and helping others, is also a form of alleviating one from you know various mental health issues. Um, and you know it's also it happens to be one of the fundamental principles of Islam you know to help one another um, and therefore we find you know through the history of Islam you know various uh, people of ability and indeed on the great stature have done so um, and dare I say have ever complained of any form of a mental health issue so that is in essence yeah, the position that Islam will take and will continue to do so um, and it will you know, make sure that it will provide that comfort and release and indeed pleasure that it always has and will do Excellent, thank you very much uh, uh, for that conclusion uh, Imam Shah Zebathar um, that brings us to the end of the show today, I must thank our, uh, our producer Seher Ahmed, the researcher Saira Ahmed, Menab Rahman, and Amber Kamal. Um, uh, excellent tech help uh, from Mr. Akib and Mr. Tahir, um, uh, as well as my fellow presenters, Imam Shazi Bhatter and Imam uh, Daniel Ahmed. We will be back uh, next Monday. There will be a live show tomorrow morning at 7 a.m., so please do tune in for that. And until next week from us, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May peace and blessings for Allah be upon you.